The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Precious Predicaments with Jeanette Abney. Our program is about turning the negative challenges in your life into positive experiences. If you feel that life's issues are bogging you down and there is no hope in sight, you've arrived where you need to be. We'll discuss the challenges and offer solutions that you can start working on immediately. Now, here is your host, Jeanette Abney. Good morning, and welcome to Precious Predicaments with Jeanette Abney and special guest, Dr. Lisa Romain. First, I want to thank my Heavenly Father and again, my grandson for waking me up this morning. I don't know why on Tuesdays, he always want to wake me up. And I also want to say that you are in store for a treat. Today, we will be discussing domestic violence and volatile relationships. Now, when we're talking about domestic violence, I want to give a brief episode description. Because as I was thinking about this topic and pondering, I was thinking about growing up in the Compton area, growing up in my family, and I promise not to throw nobody up under the bus. But I was thinking about even with my family and friends and how domestic violence has played a part in many of our lives. And even though I couldn't even think of nobody that has not been touched or affected by this. And it kind of brought me to this topic because we know many individuals have experienced some type of abuse as it relates to domestic violence, which is also known as domestic abuse, whether it's spousal abuse, intimate partner violence, battering or family violence. So today I want to bring on a very special guest. I want to say she's my sister from another mother, my best friend, my commandant, my ride or die, and everything else. So welcome, Dr. Lisa Romaine. Well, thank you so much for that wonderful and warm introduction. Um, but first and foremost, I was always taught to give honor where honor is due. And uh, Jeanette, I have to say that I'm excited about um, your life journey and the information that you're bringing to the um, Voice America uh, listeners and uh, the insights that you've given to the various topics. It's just been a pleasure to uh, gain insight and uh, hear how lives are turning around. So I thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, and thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity to see how God is going to work through us both and sharing some very important information about um, this important topic, such as domestic violence. So, um, welcome to the Voice America listeners, and thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, you are definitely welcome. So, before we even get started, please tell the listeners, you've already told them your name, tell them why this topic is so dear to your heart. Hmm. Well, um, this topic is very, very um, dear to my heart because I've seen... Um, a lot of people that I love be hurt by uh, relationships um, and people that they've trusted. 
And I've also recently, um, in my professional experience, uh, had one of my students who I had shared um, quite a bit of time in her academic uh, sort of journey uh, with who was murdered uh, by her husband. And that was somewhat unexpected in that once I had received the specifics of um, what it took place, um, it was disheartening to know that I had shared so much life with her and really had no insight as to what she was going through, not only as a student, but as a mother and a wife. And so this topic is very, very uh, personal and near and dear to me. Um, because not only do I want to share insights with people, but I want to let people know that there is healing and hope. And even if you are currently in a relationship that has the elements of domestic violence or you're coming out of one or have previously been in one, there's hope uh, because I do believe in um, families. I do believe that at all costs we should um, work on maintaining healthy relationships um, for our children and other um, family members. So you don't have to give up and throw people to the side because they've learned a behavior that's unhealthy. But I'm very, very passionate about um, this topic and as a result have started a nonprofit organization that's called New Beginnings and New Hope, which Mm -hmm. focuses primarily on serving the needs Uh, through counseling and therapy services for those on journeys of domestic violence, sexual assault, substance abuse, and have had run-ins with the criminal justice system. So that's a little bit about why this topic is so um, near and dear to my heart. But um, I would like to share, if I could, just a little bit about um, sort of the impetus behind this topic. And okay. that is um, the fact of who I am as, as a person. And one of my primary roles is as a wife. I'm married to a very passionate man who has taught me um, the value of inner strength, um, the art of compassion, endurance, and how to love unconditionally. And I'm also the daughter of one of the most amazing women on earth. I have the best mother on this planet. And um, I have beautiful children who continue to teach me each day um, the power of unshakable love, um, how to persevere, and how to forgive uh, people who have hurt me, and just being patient. And so with all of my life experiences, um, my family has been my rock, and I've been able to share my insights with um, people in the line of work uh, that I do. So that's just a little bit about why it's so near and dear to my heart and who I am uh, personally. Okay, Lisa. And I also, I mean, like I said, I love your family, love your mama, thank her dearly. And also, like I said, thank you. Because even though when you talk about domestic violence, because domestic violence is so complex and there's so many different factors, it seems simple, but it's not. I was thinking Mm -hmm. about even as I was growing up, I didn't know anything about domestic violence. It was a normal. So when they say it's a learned behavior, it truly is a learned behavior. Because even though with domestic abuse and it being learned, there's patterns of hurtful behavior. And a lot of times they talk about that it's used to gain and maintain power and control 
over an intimate partner. So what happened is I kind of got confused because Mm -hmm. when you talk about domestic and it's a relationship, you talk about a partner. I didn't even realize, Lisa, that domestic violence also have to do with whether you married, whether it's, you know, same sex, whether it's your baby mama, your, your baby daddy, or and even family brothers and sisters, that that also mm-hmm. constitute domestic violence. And even though sometimes it erupts in physical violence, but it's not the whole of it. For someone who lives in an abusive home, that sense of powerlessness and insecurity is so pervasive. Talk, let's talk a little bit about that when we talk about just living in that home of when you're growing up with domestic violence and how would you even know what it is if that's all you used to seeing? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for um, laying the foundation, but I think this would be a very appropriate time to maybe give a definition of domestic violence. And some of us may be very well aware of the terms that have been thrown out there, but it came to my attention this past uh, weekend. I work not only with perpetrators, I have the privilege of being on uh, the journeys of women perpetrators, and I, I just am so thankful that they trust me with their hurt and pain. But I've also worked with um, victims, but I like to call them survivors. Um, mm-hmm. So we also need to look at terminology and how we use um, the terms in working with people. But I had asked these uh, beautiful group of women perpetrators, um, what was their definition of domestic violence? And even though they were in a class regarding domestic violence, they truly didn't understand what the definition was. And so when we talk about what is domestic violence, um, like you had mentioned before, it's a pattern of abusive behaviors in a romantic or intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, that's intended to establish an unequal balance of power and control. It's a learned, you know, coercive behavior, and it's deliberate, and it's uh, purposeful, and it has the goal of, once again, maintaining power and control over an intimate partner. So when we're talking about what happens when um, people are in the home and experiencing this, you have to really be mindful of the ages and stages of development. Um, For the listeners, there's a wonderful um, little vignette, uh, if you will. If you Google first impressions and domestic violence, there's a very short uh, video that really kind of lays the foundation of what happens to individuals who are uh, living in domestic violence situations. And there's a lot of research to support that when you live in an environment that is toxic, Uh the youngest person um, is the one that holds most of that information and insight. And what happens is you see a lot of the behaviors from the youngest person in the family manifesting in school. Um, But that environment becomes their normal. And so anything outside of yelling and screaming, slapping, beating, punching, or whatever has gone on to have couples interact violently, that becomes the normal sort of field in which people sort of operate. Um, And so if you're a preschooler, you know, if you have um, witnessed, you know, domestic violence, you might see a lot of um, nightmares in younger people. Um, They might um, sort of reenact 
the violence that they have seen in the home through their play. And they might have a lot of um, psychosomatic symptoms. My stomach hurts, my head hurts, and things of that nature. And you know, Lisa, um, that is some of the things that we do see in kids. But even before we even see those symptoms in children, because we're going to talk about the impact of domestic violence on children, because a lot of times individuals don't even realize what they're doing to their kids. And in our practice, I always tell my clients a lot of times, there's two reasons why most kids wind up in the in the care of the Department of Children and Family Services. One of them is drug and alcohol use. The second one is domestic violence. And they don't even realize that. And we kind of focus a lot on the physical. I mean, even myself and my family, I've seen where my uncles were abusive. My father was abusive. Thank God I didn't have any brothers. But I mean, our biologic brothers that I know of, shall I say. But basically, there was so much abuse. It was normal because we was looking at the physical. We didn't even pay attention to a lot of the other forms of abuse such as the the verbal abuse, the emotional abuse, the economic, the sexual. And now we're learning about the religious abuse. So a lot of times when you are looking at these different um, forms, many people don't even identify that as abuse. So I want to give some examples. And a lot of times for the listeners, if you hear some of the examples like, he's stalking me. Stalking just became a law not too long ago because before people would be hiding and and stalking you and calling you. I remember growing up as a kid, I have a scar up under my lip that I probably attained when I was little because my father and mother used to fight all the time. So I didn't know what to do as a child. So what I did was to stop them. My mother was washing my hair. I jumped off the cabinet. And when I jumped off the cabinet, I busted my lip and they had to go get me medical attention to stop them from fighting. So as I kept witnessing it, I didn't know what to do. And all I kept seeing was in my mind, I would never let it happen to me. I would never let it happen to me. I refused to be with somebody that, uh, that hit me, that talk about me, that I just I was not going to live like that. So what happened, mm-hmm. Lisa, I was so paranoid about it till I became abusive till when mm-hmm. I first started dating the first two guys when I was a teenager, I didn't have any problems, but I still was around it with my mom because it was like she just would not. I don't even I never even seen a healthy relationship with the men that she dated. But what mm-hmm. got me was when I met my fa- my son's father. And there would be time that I would be coming home from football games and he'll be hiding across the street by a tree. Talk about Jeanette, Jeanette. And I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, and it was stalking. And I didn't even know what that was. So the second one is intimidating. A person intimidating you. A person calling you names. Biting. Hurting. Putting you down. Preventing you from having a job. Sexually assaulting you. Tying you up against your will. Consistently blaming you for things. And the last one, preventing one from going to their place of worship. Mm-hmm. Lisa, I still, mm-hmm. I just learned in my research of doing this that that is now abusive. Let's talk a little bit about some of these examples of abuse. Mm-hmm. Well, as you um, shared, power and control is at the center of someone who um, 
interacts in healthy, um, particularly in the context of domestic violence. And when you talk about um, religious abuse, the other piece is not only um, preventing someone from attending service, but perhaps maybe also preventing them from uh, tithing, mm-hmm. um, perhaps um, using um, words in the scripture um, somewhat out of context in the sense of, um, you know, you do, as I say, I'm the head of the household, and, you know, you stay with me to just um, do us part in making people feel, you know, really uh, shameful about even thinking about um, telling someone in the church about um, mm-hmm. what's going on or reaching out, so isolating them. So I'm right. working with a lot of uh, clients at this time who are staying in the relationship and don't see a way out because they are getting information um, from pastors and, and very well-meaning individuals about, um, you know, what the Bible says about staying with um, your partner. And I want to just share, it's never, ever okay to bring hurt, harm, and danger to yourself or anyone. And so when we talk about, um, you know, the church and its influence on these relationships, there's a lot more education that needs to be given in that realm. Uh, Okay, Lisa, I'm going to stop you because we're about to go on a break. So we have a break in about 30 seconds. So Mm -hmm. let's go for a break. And with that, when you come back, we're going to talk about some of the warning signs of a domestic abuser. Since we've already talked about some of the different things as far as the different um, signs of abuse and types of abuse, we're going to talk about the cycles of abuse. And we're also going to talk about what do the abuser look like? Like you said, when you talk about a perpetrator. Until then, take a break. We'll be right back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Do you have complete control over your thoughts and your life? It seems like we do, but there are always outside forces that are wreaking havoc with that control. How do we get our thoughts back on track, so to speak? Listen for help. My thoughts are holding me hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin. When you command the power of thought, you can achieve or have whatever you want. Make the laws of the universe work for you. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Life is a journey which never gets easier. As we go through life, we just handle things better as we get to know ourselves. Listen for the Mental Sherpa by Theta Spring. Host Alexandra Janelli believes that each of us are pre-programmed with all the answers and tools we need to move through any situation life throws at us. It's discovering those tools and answers that will set us on the right path to enjoying and navigating life. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You 
are tuned in to Precious Predicaments. To reach Jeanette Abney or her guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to jabneylmft at gmail.com. Now, back to Precious Predicaments. Welcome back to Precious Predicament with Jeanette Abney and Dr. Lisa Romaine. Again, today's show, we're talking about domestic violence and volatile relationship because our goal here today is to break the cycle. And when you talk about breaking the cycle, as we know, like I said, it's a learned behavior. And with that behavior being learned, we have to relearn different behaviors. We have to relearn techniques of how to get our point across, how to show that we love a person. I remember my grandmother used to say, you don't hurt what you love. So in that, sometimes the message get kind of confused. So I want to share a little bit about the warning signs of a domestic abuser, or let's just say an abuser, because we use the term the perpetrator. And even when I conduct the 52-week batteries and eviction classes, a lot of times individuals are offended by that name of a perpetrator. So I always say one who offends or one who has been identified by the courts for basically demonstrating inappropriate behavior. But even before I start that, I want to share something about my granddaughter. My oldest granddaughter is about to be a teenager soon. And I'm watching her as she mature. But I remember when she was in the second grade, she came to me and she said, Granny, I like this boy in my class, but his sister told me not to because he's abusive. And I was shocked, Lisa, because I'm like, what does she mean? He's abusive. So my granddaughter went Mm -hmm. on to say, well, his sister said that his dad beats his mom and that her brother is mean and he's abusive. So because I know about the history in my family and the women in my family, I'm looking at my granddaughter. First of all, you're only seven. You don't need to be talking about no boyfriend anyway. And then secondly, I know her mother. And I know when my son was younger, you know, he never witnessed me being abused. But then he became our first started off getting abused. And now he's calling me now. I don't know what he's calling me for. So but the thing is, you know, I didn't know what to do because I'm like, what can I tell my granddaughter? So I engaged in this dialogue with her by telling her if his sister is seeing that she's warning you. And a lot of times we don't pay attention to the red flags. We don't we don't heed the warning signs. So I want to start off with some of the warning signs of a abuser. First is jealousy. At the beginning of the relationship, Lisa is great. The abuser will say that the jealousy is a sign of love. They may question you about who you talk to, where you go and, you know, accuse you of flirting. And at first you don't think there's nothing wrong with it. But then that jealousy gets out of control. And Mm -hmm. we got to realize that jealousy is not a proof of love. It's a sign of insecurity and possessiveness. What do you have Mm -hmm. to say, Lisa, about jealousy as far as being one of the warning signs? When we talk about the warning signs, I just am just amazed as to how many people don't tune into something that we naturally have, which is our inner sense. We know when something feels good. But we also know when something doesn't feel good. And we have um, red flags around us all the time, but we tend to sort of push those out because the person sounds good, they look good, they Mm -hmm. smell good. But one of the things we need to be mindful of um, when we're talking about red flags is did the person grow up in a violent family? As your granddaughter was sharing, you know, um, she 
like this boy that's in her, you know, friend was telling her certain things. But we need to be mindful. If this person has only seen violence in their family, we need to explore that a little bit, you know? Um, we also need to be mindful of is there, you know, force or violence used to solve problems. Sometimes people only know uh, to use unhealthy ways to solve problems, and we need to be mindful of that. You know, you- if uh, you're afraid of someone when they get angry, that's a problem because you shouldn't be afraid to be in a relationship, you know, with someone. And oftentimes, like you said, there's this area of low self-esteem that's sort of hiding in the backdrop of a person. So red flag, there for the, a particular reason. But the thing is, Lisa, pay attention to them. But the thing is, Lisa, for some reason, when we're seeing this person, and like you said, they look good, smell good, we think we can change them. We think, oh, they're not going to be, it's not going to happen to me. I mean, we still have people, and we don't know if OJ's guilty or not. We're going to leave that alone. But you still, I'm quite sure OJ Simpson gets letters all the time for women in love with him. Charles Manson. So it's like the good girls like bad boys. And I want to say this. It's not only men that abuse because women do too. A lot of times with men, they don't tell because also they're embarrassed. They're ashamed. They don't think that nobody's going to believe them. Because I know with my son, my son didn't say a word to me or his sister that he at first started off being abused. And then he apparently may have flipped the strip. I don't know. But I didn't want my son putting his hands on no woman. So the next Mm -hmm. one is the controlling behavior. Controlling behavior can often be disguised or excused as a concern. Concern for your safety, or I'm worried about you. I'm worried about your emotional, your mental, your need, you know, and I want you to spend time with me, or I don't want you around anyone else, which could also lead to isolation. If your abuser may be getting angry and upset if you're coming home late from working, shopping, visiting friends, even if you told them you'll be back, or your abuser may be questioning you closely about where you're going. That's something you need to be mindful of. That's not healthy. What do you think mm-hmm. about the controlling behavior, Lisa? What do you, what would, you have girls. What would you tell mm-hmm. your daughters if one of their boyfriends is constantly trying to control where they go and what they do? What would you say to your mm-hmm. daughter? Well, one of the things that um, you were talking about is unrealistic expectations. And I often share with my daughters um, and with my son as well is uh, four things. I kind of remember things in fours. And one is that this person never changes. This person that you're in this relationship with, would you be able to withstand a life with them? Mm -hmm. So if you see that they are treating you in a way that um, doesn't make you feel good, if they are isolating you from people that you love and really uh, managing everywhere that you go, if they never change, can you deal with that behavior? Um, Do you see yourself... Maybe, um, I don't know, wanting to have a child with this person. You know, if you have a child with this person, you run the risk of a child being like that person. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, you know, um, if this person never changes, oftentimes people in these types of relationships become like the other person. Like you said before, you know, you were in situations where you didn't quite understand what was going on, but you knew that you didn't want this to be on your life journey, and so you became abusive. And I mm-hmm. know oftentimes um, people have a language uh, that isn't always positive. I know I've used some words that have been very, very hurtful. And um, oftentimes when we get scared and, you know, in a place of, of fear, we, we do certain things to make certain that people don't get too close to us. So I would tell my daughters and anybody that's listening, if this person never changes, 
never, ever changes, would you be able to stay with them? And you also run the risk of being like them. So those are just some of the things that I would, you know, encourage uh, people to think about because people don't change unless they have an emphasis to change. And oftentimes love is just not enough. True. Another thing, Lisa, is quick involvement. A lot of times, many victims of abuse dated or knew their abusers basically less than six months before they were either engaged or living together. A lot of times, we are so quick to not want to be alone, wanting to be with someone. We don't even know. It's like the movies that they had sleeping with the enemies and things of that nature. The abuser basically will claim love at first sight that you were made to be with each other or that the only person, you're the only person for them and you start believing that and it can also make you feel basically guilty if you are leave them. One of the things mm-hmm. that Lisa, and you know you and I, we do a lot of work together. We do a lot of therapy together. We kind of tag team people sometimes and mm-hmm. one of the things is starting to build and do some workshops with individuals and a lot of times when you talk about therapy, sometimes the the two want to engage in therapy together. And I've had to share with people how dangerous that can be. Because mm-hmm. if you are having problems at home and you bring that into a therapy session, that can mm-hmm. be dangerous, unethical, and illegal because I tell my clients all the time, I can't protect you when you go home. So mm-hmm. if I start seeing red flags in therapy because basically you start looking at the, the blaming and shifting for problems, the blaming and shifting for feelings, the hypersensitivity, you start seeing a lot of that stuff. And if you're seeing it in a therapy session, sometimes therapists can, you know, with counter-transference be saying, you know, um, I don't think this may be a good idea. How would you handle that in your professional capacity if you're doing counseling with a couple and you start seeing signs of abuse? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, most of my professional career has been in education, and I have the privilege of doing um, counseling. And I actually recently had uh, a young couple that was referred to me, and um, they pretty much got caught up in a situation where, you know, people had uh, seen them getting each other upside the head, and before they could actually return to a classroom situation, they had to go see someone like myself. And Mm -hmm. so initially, we talked a little bit about um, what took place, and as we were going through um, some family tree information, I had shared with them that um, it would be helpful if I talked to each and every one of them individually, because there may be some in you know, information that they'd want to share with me. And oftentimes when you put couples in a room where the uh, other person is there, they are fearful of the retribution outside of that. And so mm-hmm. what I do is I actually either tell them that up front, if it's sort of low-level violence, if we have to put it there, or in some cases where my inner instincts to tell me this is danger, 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 I'll create a situation where um, I may have to stop the session for just a moment and perhaps um, call one of the other partners out just to kind of do a a self-check there to make certain that um, I'm following this correctly and uh, go from there. But we always want to pay attention to um, what's going on in the session and making certain that we create a safe environment um, for the clients uh, that we serve. So um, in this relationship that I recently had the opportunity of working with this young couple, um, it was not beneficial for us to continue couple counseling, um, but we did do a lot of individual work, and as a result, uh, they were able to, uh, you know, gain some healthy tools, if you will, 
and, um, you know, continue with their relationship, but it wasn't going to work if I kept them together um, in that couple session there. But that's how they were referred to me. Okay. One of the things that I want to make sure that we most definitely give our listeners some information, some tools, some tips to kind of help them. And one of the things I can, uh, I have a question about, and it is, why do women stay or why do men stay? I know that Mm -hmm. growing up in my home, the one thing that I was so angry with my mother because with all the violent relationships she was in and what she exposed us to, she did it up until the day she pretty literally passed. And my mother passed away back in February of 2008. And I learned that on New Year's Eve, she actually beat up and stabbed her boyfriend knowing she was dying. She didn't know what else to do. That was just her way of expressing herself. And she was a very violent person, but she was a very loving person, a very caring person. But it's like the emotional maturity. And it's like, why do women stay? One of the things it talks about is one question our culture and often that survivors and victims of domestic violence acts is, why do people stay in abusive relationship? Why don't they just leave? And sometimes the question is meant as an honest inquiry. However, it is spoken as what they call an undercurrent or a hostility or disbelief. I couldn't have been in it that that bad or why didn't you just leave? Why do you think that some of the people stay, Lisa? Mm -hmm. Well, first, let's just uh, share information with regard to domestic violence um, can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. It doesn't uh, discriminate in any way. I don't care how much money you have, where you live, your sexual orientation, your age, or anything. So domestic violence can kind of show up and, and impact anyone. But uh, oftentimes, uh, victims, as I'd like to call them, survivors say, one is because they love their partner. Mm-hmm. You know, the partner is not always 100% bad. Um, and they really believe that the you know, partner is going to change, and they do have a hope um, that they will change. Another huge uh, reason that uh, people say is fear of um, breaking up a family and, and losing their children. Um, oftentimes, um, when we think about power and control, children are used in the, you know, cycle of, of violence to use as sort of this uh, power and control thing, and kids get caught up in that, you know? Correct. Um, Correct. What I've been hearing most recently is part of the reasons why people stay is because, you know, they don't want to fail or lose faith in, um, you know, with their family, with the community or friends. Um, they don't want people to know that they failed at something. And oftentimes they're really afraid of being alone. And, and in some cases, they just don't know how to get out. Oftentimes Correct. they, you know, fear retaliation by the partner. They don't have any financial resources. They're very insecure. Or, and they also don't believe that someone else will love them. They believe that this is the best that they can get. And oftentimes these things are highlighted as to why people stay because they don't have a strong, healthy support system outside of this uh, unhealthy relationship because oftentimes their um, partner has isolated them from people who could be um, that non-judgmental here and, and be with them on this journey. So those are just a few of the uh, reasons why people stay, um, and, and they're valid. 
Correct. And we got three minutes before we go on break. But the one thing I also want to share is some other information is not only just that they fear their partner's actions if they leave in regards to a lot of times they feel like he's going to kill me. He's going to find me. I don't want nobody else to get hurt. And there's a link between love and violence, that hopelessness, the gender role, the embarrassment, the shame, the financial dependence, the lack of supportive relationships, not wanting to be alone, the loyalty the guilt. And then you can also add to that in regards to the dependencies on drugs and alcohol, because a lot of times sometimes feel I'm nothing. I don't deserve better because of the verbal abuse. They feel paralyzed. They can't make decisions anymore. Sometimes individuals are brainwashed to believe that they can't cope without their partner. I know in a lot of, even in my past relationships, people say, well, you don't nobody want you. You stuck with me. And I knew that's a lie. Another thing is they're so used to the life being that way and they Mm -hmm. feel comfortable with what they know than what they Mm -hmm. don't know in the world. And a lot of times that part right there is so scary. Now we have, like I said, two minutes before we go to break. If there's anyone that want to call in, please just make sure you call in with uh, Voice America or you can, they gave you guys the information in regards to the phone number. And um, if you want to share, because I know there's a lot of people out there that's going through, been through, or perhaps will go through. So mm-hmm. a lot of times people don't know where to go. We're going to be closing the show soon. So I want to make sure we also give the listeners some information in regards to resources. What do you do to help a loved one that you know that is being abused? Because the main thing is to end the cycle, stop the abuse, find ways to get some help. And um, let's, let's, let's stop this because it's totally, totally getting out of control. So until then, let's take a break and we'll be waiting for you to come back with Jeanette Abney and Dr. Lisa Romaine. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you happy in your life or are you just settling? It's time to speak out, take control of your existence and let your life speak. Bart Queen is the host of A Hero's Journey. His personal goal is to help you find your voice, use that voice and live the life that you deserve to live. Do more, be more and give more. Tune in to A Hero's Journey on the Voice America Empowerment Channel live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You owe it to yourself to tune in and make your voice count. Do you feel alone trying to conquer life's challenges? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April Joy Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to discover the powerful you. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you get empowered holistically every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
You are tuned in to Precious Predicaments. To reach Jeanette Abney or her guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to jabneylmft at gmail.com. Now, back to Precious Predicaments. Welcome back to Precious Predicaments with Jeanette Abney and Dr. Lisa Romaine as we talk about domestic violence. Before break, there was some information that we wanted to share, but I want Lisa to talk about the cycles of abuse. Lisa, can you share with the listeners what that cycle is about? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, oftentimes um, when we're in a relationship, we um, don't understand how do we get to the part when it's not working because in the beginning everything seems to be going smoothly and calmly and you're getting to know each other and then all of a sudden something changes and this is what we call you know sort of the cycle of violence and so there's three phases and um, sometimes there's a four but the first phase is more or less you know when that tension and that anger uh, is highlighted this is where sort of walking on eggshells starts to um, take place and then before you know it, you are into the second phase, which is where you see more of the things that we talked about, maybe the hitting, the slapping, the punching, the kicking, the verbal abuse, you know, verbal threats, um, sexual abuse, using weapons. And oftentimes, you know, people uh, don't, if you will, understand that, okay, this wasn't my fault, how did this happen? But you're there and you're thinking, wow, how do I get out of this? And then all of a sudden it's that honeymoon stage. It's like that calm before the storm. This is where the, you know, person, they may blame, well, I was drinking, you know, I was on drugs, it wasn't my fault, or you did this, and they start to bring you flowers, roses, or things start to look up. And so, you know, um, you have sort of this cyclical process where age shells, and then all of a sudden the, the violence happens and then all of a sudden we're back to the calm and the storm that before you know it, it's, okay. we're going round and round again. And, okay, Lisa, uh, I'm going to stop you right there because I understand what you're mm-hmm. seeing. I just got a text message where somebody said that they was trying to call in. And when you, what you're sharing is basically talking about the tension building, the battering, the honeymoon phase. And then it goes mm-hmm. back again. The tension is building. Mm-hmm the battering, and then the honeymoon phase. I received mm-hmm. a text, and one of the texts, it talks about, talk about abusive relationships in young kids like high school age and the struggle of their parents on how they can separate them and what steps they should take to save their child before something bad really happens. That's very mm-hmm. important because we're talking more focused on adults, but teenagers are also experiencing this. Teen violence is basically on a rise. And we're now mm-hmm. having kids that are being placed in the, they're not giving them the 52-week domestic violence program, but they're giving them a 26-week program, putting them in with adults so that they can learn ways and skills of how to express themselves and control their behavior. Because a lot of times parents don't know what to do. Now, I know time is about to end. We're going to be ending the show pretty soon. But I want to say what I can do in regards to if you as a person, first of all, speak out. Speak out against violence on television and in movies, even though a lot of times it's educational, it's very entertaining, but sometimes it can also promote violence. Take a stand. Don't tolerate jokes about rape or violence. Attend rallies and protest against violence. 
ask your legislator to increase funding programs that offer services to victims of violence and our violence prevention education. One of the things I want to say is in regards to shelters, there's not a lot of places for men to go that are victim of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Make sure that your local schools address violence as part of their curriculum. If we catch them while they're young, we can try to prevent a lot of adults from either having to do the programs or getting arrested for domestic violence. And we didn't even talk about restraining orders, which is a whole nother issue. Mm -hmm. Educate yourself about domestic violence and educate your family and friends. Discuss violence with your children and make sure that they know the signs to look for when choosing relationships and where to go for help if they're physically assaulted. Then if you're a volunteer, if you are a volunteer, go to your local women's shelter, your domestic violence um, shelter, and offer to volunteer. And if you're being or belong to a service organization, a place of worship, encourage individuals in your organization, which you are a member of, and, you know, um, give financial support. Sometimes, a lot of times, a lot of these places that are nonprofits, they don't have the money. And even though when people are stuck and don't know where to go, they feel like nobody's helping me, nobody's care. Funding is very limited right now. And parents, what can parents do? Be a positive role model. That's very important because your kids will model and mimic what you do. Mm-hmm. Turn on television. When you're talking about when you're looking at these things, explain to your children the acceptable ways to deal with your anger. Encourage your children's teachers, coaches, and community leaders to promote nonviolent solutions to problems, learning conflict resolution skills. Listen to your children. Encourage them to discuss their feelings, needs, and wants. That's one of the things that parents can do. A lot of times we don't listen to our children when our children are in trouble. Teachers can develop curriculums for boys and men to help them understand their role in a healthy relationship along with young ladies. Young women need to figure out what they need to do. And create an atmosphere for respectful discussion of harassment, abusive, and violent relationships. Business leaders can get involved. Employees can get involved, religious leaders can get involved, civic organizations and youth organizations, and the criminal justice system can work. One of the things, with a, and a lot of things we didn't touch on, Lisa, is domestic violence is the most, the hardest calls for police officers to go out on because they're the most dangerous because it's based on emotions. And a lot of times police officers don't know what to do. And there's things where you can get a peaceful contact, you can, um, a a temporary restraining order, a permanent restraining order. And people, if you have a restraining order against you, please abide by it because it is to protect you and to save your life. It is not for you to, if you initiate a restraining order to play with the court's um, time by saying, I have a restraining order and I'm going to call this person when I want to call them. Because a lot of times the perpetrators don't understand is giving them mixed messages and mixed signals. So it's all about safety. It's all about love. And each one have to teach one. Lisa, in closing, is there anything you want to say? Because it looks like we have a minute left before we end this show with domestic violence. Because the bottom line is breaking the cycles. And Lisa, what do you have to say in closing? Well, one of the things I do want to say is that just be consistent in the messages that you're sending to each other and to young people, because oftentimes people are going to pay more attention to what you are doing versus what you are saying. So just be consistent. And also, um, create safety plans. If you know that you're in um, unhealthy relationships, get together with someone who can walk you through this 
and create a safety plan. Um, oftentimes, the DMV um, has some insights where they can make your information secure. Um, so we do have that uh, resource available. And you also just want to make sure that you're aware of um, saving money, um, making mm-hmm. certain that you put um, documents um, to the side. So in the event that you do decide to transition out of these relationships, you'll have money, you'll have um, important documents and things of that nature because what most people don't understand that oftentimes the most volatile time to leave is when it is high. So when things are going Mm -hmm. somewhat smoothly and if you have a safety plan, it'll give you encouragement to transition, but you need someone to help you with this. But there's hope. People don't have to end, um, you know, family relationships. Uh, People can bounce back from this, but you do need someone to walk along uh, with you on this journey. Um, So be encouraged. I want to say this, too. I just learned that we do have a little bit more time than what I thought in regards to the safety plan. But not only before we talk about a list of items, which you gave the listeners some very, very good information in regards to like if you're packing a bag and you're going to the hospital because, you know, you're giving birth is packing that bag because, you know, you need to get out of this relationship and you want to make sure you don't leave anything behind you. And talking about some of the things that you said, what should I take children? Take your kids because a lot of times there have been parents that have left their children and they left their children with an abuser and the child was abused. And a lot of times they do so because they feel that it's in the best interest of the child of the child, you know, take you some money, put some money aside, start saving your keys to your car, your keys to your house, your medicine important papers, you know, your birth certificates are very important, your social security cards, your driver's license, your bank books, your credit cards. Those are some of the things that you need to make sure that you have with you, your jewelry, your items for your children, your school records and your medical records. Now, Lisa, it looks like we have a little bit more time than what I thought. And uh, you did a very good job with talking about the power control wheel. You know, we did a very good job with talking about developing that safety plan. And, you know, sometimes, like you said, never look back. But also, don't repeat the cycle. Because most women and statistics show that they've been in more than just one violent relationship. Because sometimes we get out of one relationship and go back into another. Mm-hmm. All it is is they just have a different name. So we got to know in regards to when we're looking at that is even though trying to also when we see our friends, when we see ourselves doing that, we also have to learn some tips in regards to not to be afraid. And it talks about like, how can we help a friend or family member? One of the things that I don't want to really babble is, Lisa, a lot of times I remember like with my family, we had this thing where we didn't call the police. I remember getting a phone call one time telling me that my sister was being beat up by her husband. And they used to call me. I don't know if you remember that movie, Deliver Us from Eva. I guess I was mm-hmm. Eva because I was the one that you go call if you're getting beat up or you go call Jeanette, call Jeanette, call Jeanette, call Jeanette. And I was silent but deadly. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. argue. I didn't. But if you call me, it was on. And um, I remember when I got to the house, my sister's house. My sister wasn't even there. And I know her husband was afraid because whenever my brother-in-law's new Jeanette was coming, it was like, "Uh uh-oh, here she come. You know, so what happened was when I got to the hospital, I just knew my sister was was about to die. It was blood everywhere, Lisa. She was all bloody and everything. 
When they cleaned my sister up, all she had was a busted lip. All the blood was his blood, you know? And it was like, I was like, oh my God, you know? And it was like, this really have to stop. So a lot of times when we see family and friends, we have to not be afraid to let them know we're concerned. I'm concerned about your safety. We also have to acknowledge sometimes that people's situation is difficult. It can be scary, but we have to be supportive. How can you be supportive to a person, especially that you love, when you see that they're being hurt, Lisa? What, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that um, you have to be mindful of, and I mentioned this earlier, is that you're getting one piece of the story. Relationships are very, very complicated. But what you don't need to do is give up on the person. If they tell you the story 50 million times, be a non-judgmental supporter and let them know that your love is not wavering, your support is not wavering, and they're making um, strides to get better and stronger um, in this relationship. Because oftentimes when people have been victimized, um, you know, they take 10 steps forward, but then when um, an incident comes up, they take 20 steps back. And oftentimes helping people get out of these relationships is to know that they have a healthy person or a healthy support system on the outside um, that can really help them build that inner courage that they have and that inner strength. So just never um, give up, have the patience that sometimes people um, take time to transition Um, But let them know that you are there for them no matter what they decide to do. Oftentimes people give insight based upon what they would do, but they have to be mindful that even though that's well intended, it may not be the best advice for that person in that relationship. So stay, you know, steadfast and unshakable in your friendship, in your, um, you know, support for the person in the family, and just Mm -hmm. never give up because there's always uh, hope, always hope. Well, it talks about also we got to listen to them. We got to remember that it may be difficult for them to talk about the abuse, but let them know that we're that the other person is available when they need to talk about it, whether it's a male or a female. We have to be available. And when that's when they need you the most is just to listen. You always tell me, Lisa, when we talk and I come to you with a bunch of stuff, you say, do you want me to talk or do you want me to listen? And I always have to let you know which one it is. We have to be non-judgmental and respect the person's decision. Because even though there may be complex reasons why the victim stayed in that relationship, that um, when they break up, if they go back many times, don't criticize them for doing that. But, you know, let them know that you support them and encourage them to do things that you would do to other friends and families that don't take sides uh, in regards to the relationship and help them develop a safety plan and encourage them to talk to people who would give them help and guidance. And remember, mm-hmm. we got to remember, we cannot rescue the person. A lot of times mm-hmm. we try our best to rescue rescue them, but we should be there for support and help to help them find their way because there are professionals. We have the Center for the Treatment of Addiction, which offers a 52-week batteries intervention program for both victims and perpetrators. Lisa, you want to mm-hmm. tell them a little bit about your organization? We have one minute left before we close. Mm-hmm. Right. So you we want to have um, New Beginnings and New Hope, which is a nonprofit organization that um, offers support uh, and counseling services to those that are on journeys of um, domestic violence, sexual assault, and substance use. And then we also have um, Cotswoman Psychological Services that caters more to uh, the business community, if you will, and those that are working through issues of workplace violence and education um, in the corporate world. And so there's a lot of resources out there for you. You don't have to go through this alone. Um, life is not over because you have um, had a journey um, with domestic violence. There's still a whole life to live um, ahead. And so I just 
want to leave with the listeners that self-care is key. You're with yourself all day. You go to bed with yourself. You wake up with yourself. Um, and you need to treat yourself with the respect. Um, and take good care of yourself. Learn good self-care tips, and it'll help you to make some healthy decisions and um, transition into healthy relationships. And in closing, I want to say I want to thank my listeners for listening and join us next week as we will be talking about dealing with a divorce. And until then, remember, you got this. There are people out there that do care. There are resources available. See you next week with Jeanette Abney with Precious Predicaments. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Precious Predicaments with Jeanette Abney. Please join us again for another program next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until then, have an easy and relaxing week. You've got this.